Have you ever had a moment where you wanted to act, but you didn't pull the trigger? I've told this story to our teens several times, but it's the one that comes to mind for me when I consider moments like that. This moment takes place in a high school guy's locker room. Now, nothing good ever happens in a high school guy's locker room. Uh, in fact, there's no edifying conversation. No one ever leaves saying, I'm so glad we had that conversation. I just feel encouraged. If it was up to me, I think we should institute a no talking rule in all high school boys locker rooms and everyone would feel better. Anyway, this time is really no different. Nothing good came from this conversation. See, we're getting changed back into our street clothes after basketball one day and one of the guys starts talking about his girlfriend. And he's talking about how he doesn't really even like her, but he keeps her around because all the nice things she does for him and all the ways she takes care of him. And he should really break up with her, but he's not going to because he's going to use her to get what he wants. And I realized the girl he's talking about is one of my friends. And in that moment, I've never wanted to use violence to communicate more. I, I literally clenched my fists, but I didn't use violence. In fact, I didn't say anything. I got caught in this moment of hesitation and I decided to walk away rather than stand up for my friend. And a part of me wishes I had said something. In fact, a lot of me. A part of me wishes that I had actually done my first instinct and socked the guy. But the fact is I missed a chance to stand up for my friend because I hesitated. And maybe you found yourself in a similar situation where you hesitated in an opportunity to stand up for someone. Or maybe you've been caught in a situation where you could lie and you hesitated at telling the truth. Or maybe you've been stuck in a scenario where you should have spoken up because you knew someone was wrong, but instead you didn't. Or maybe you've been on the other side of the coin where you acted too quickly and you should have hesitated. Well, the truth is we get caught in moments like this all the time. And today we're gonna look at some examples of hesitance, of speaking up and of action through what might be a familiar story for some of you, uh, but we're gonna go a little deeper than maybe you're used to. Now, this deep cut is gonna be from the characters of Deborah, of Barak, and of Jael from Judges chapter four. There are lots of truths we could glean from this passage, uh, truths about uh, hesitation and action and glory, but I wanna enter in asking what God has for us. When I look back at that high school conversation, at that moment in the locker room, I asked myself, what road should I have taken? What could I have done that would have led to a real difference in the life of the guy speaking and the life of my friend? I think we all wanna know that path. What is the thing we could have done that would lead to honor, that would lead to glory, that would lead to the best possible thing? We wanna know we did the right thing and we made a difference. My hope is that today we get a little taste of how to do that from Judges chapter four. See, last week, Pastor Chris invited us into and introduced this cycle of judges, this cycle where there's peace and everyone begins to forget God and do what is right in their own eyes. And then they get the consequences of that action. They have to live with uh, the other nations coming in that they failed to drive out before. And because they forget God's command and forget who he is, they have to deal with the war and oppression and pain. In the midst of that cycle, we see God sending a deliverer. Well, it's in the very midst of just one of these cycles that we pick up in Judges chapter four. Let's read here, starting in verse one. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. 
And the Lord sold them to the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagaim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel would come up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinadnam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Has the Lord, the God of Israel, not commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Gabon's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went to Barak, went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went up with him. Now, the first thing we see in this passage is the action of the people and the consequences, right? It says, again, Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And so Gabin comes in with his commander Sisera to try and get the attention of the people of Israel. And Sisera comes in with his 900 iron chariots. And for 20 years, he cruelly oppresses the Israelites. Now, at this point in the book of Judges, if you'd been reading the previous chapter, you would know there's a phrase we're accustomed to. That phrase is, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer. Curiously, that phrase is absent in this chapter. In fact, the term deliverer is absent altogether. See, Deborah is a prophetess who's arisen to judge Israel during this time. And through her, this message is delivered to Barak, but this military general doesn't get the term deliverer and nor does Deborah in this instance. And maybe this was his chance, right? She comes to him and says, God has not commanded you go and and wipe out Sisera and his army and his chariots. But for some reason, Barak hesitates. Now, maybe he just wants to be sure Uh, This message is from the Lord, or maybe he's afraid of the 900 chariots of iron, or maybe he's trying to be wise. We don't know the reason that he hesitates here, but we do know the result. She says to him, I'll go with you, but the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. You know, people hesitate all the time. Uh, We do it for good reasons and for bad reasons. We do it out of wisdom or fear or indecision. And sometimes, honestly, it leads to a better choice in the end. Sometimes you miss out on an opportunity like it appears that Barak did. And sometimes it doesn't make a difference at all. Yet the way we hesitate, the times we hesitate, and the reasons we hesitate absolutely matter. We know that Barak was uh, 
knowing that we know that Barak knew that Deborah was a prophetess. We know he knew she was the judge of Israel at the time. And yet he gives her this ultimatum. If you go with me, then I'll I'll believe this is from the Lord, then I'll go. But if you don't, I'm not going to do it. What's fascinating is the consequences he gets are not uh, what Saul got when he offered sacrifices to the Lord where he's cut off as king. No, instead she says, yeah, the victory is still going to happen. I'm going to go with you, but the glory is not yours. The head of Cis- or the hand of Sisera will be handed over to a woman. I love that deliverance still occurs, but he doesn't get the glory. This is one of those moments in scripture where it isn't laid out for us what we're supposed to take away from this passage. Instead, we have to sit in God's word and ask that he would speak to us through it. You know, as I did that, as I considered the exchange between Barak and Deborah, I'm reminded of other passages in scripture where people hesitate with God. Uh, Think forward in in Judges. If you're familiar with Judges, you know the story of Gideon, uh, who's one of the next ones. He won't believe unless God does a sign and then does the opposite sign right afterward. Think forward to the New Testament. We have Thomas, who's unable to believe until he gets proof, like seeing Jesus for himself and putting his hand in Jesus' side. And then fast forward a little further to the Acts church. When the Gentiles are beginning to be included, they actually pause and deliberate what they're to do until they get an answer that seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to them. On the other side of the coin, we have lots of examples of action at just a word, right? Consider Peter who, when Jesus says, who do you say I am? He says, you are the son of the living God, the Messiah. Or who Peter also at the word come from Jesus walks on water. In many of these examples, God is gracious whether we rush to action or we hesitate. And yet there are also the other side of the coin, so our motives truly matter. And in this case, we are left with the question that Jesus leaves Thomas when he finally appears to him. He says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. We are left asking what what could have been if Barak had instead responded with, I will go and do as the Lord has commanded. The truth is that hesitance for the wrong reason has consequences. For Barak, it meant that the glory would go to another. But what I find fascinating with this narrative is that although he goes down the path that won't lead to his glory, God still uses him. God still accomplishes the victory through Barak. We're going to see that the 900 chariots of Sisera get wiped out by the men that Barak leads into battle. Yet the glory of taking out Sisera, the one who is called the oppressor of Israel cruelly for 20 years, is not given to Barak, but to a woman. Let's continue reading here in verse 11. It says, now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Habeb, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abdamim, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Herosesh Hagoyim to the river of Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up for this day, This is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. 
And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Heroseth Hagoim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. We see the army is destroyed by Barak's army with Deborah and Barak at their head. But what happens to Sisera? Verse 17 continues, But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, and do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent. If any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said, Come, and I will show you the man you are seeking. So he went to her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Can you see why we didn't do this series outside while the kids were with us? <laughs> this is a pretty graphic rendering of what happened between Jael and Sisera. Uh, essentially, Sisera tries to escape by going to the wife of an ally. But that wife chooses to align herself with the people and the purposes of God rather than with her husband's allies. This woman rises to the occasion through treachery, wit, and a glass of milk and takes down one of the most evil warlords known to the people of Israel for these 20 years. Unlike Barak, she acts immediately when given the opportunity, despite the facts that could have given her pause and maybe should have, right? Her husband's an ally to this man. She's an unarmed, untrained woman in her tent, and this is a trained military officer. And yet she acts with bravery and tact, and that is celebrated both in this moment and in the next chapter where Deborah and Barak sing a song of victory. She gets the honor of taking down the general. But what is it we're supposed to learn from jail? Is it the lack of hesitance to rise to the occasion? Is it choosing God's people and purposes above all else is what matters? Once again, we don't get to see beyond the narrative and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to speak through his text. There's definitely a lesson for us here about action. And, and I'm not sure what through went, went through Jael's mind when she had this encounter with Sesera, but I know that we have to have confidence in knowing what God wants us to do and the actions that can make that happen. The book of Judges is not prescriptive. It doesn't tell us that we should all act this way, but it does describe God carrying out his deliverance through people. I think we can learn from Jael don't hesitate in doing what God wants to do. In this case, Jael knew this man was an enemy of God's people and she saw an opportunity to free Israel from his oppression as judges had been doing before her for many years. 
And so we're not all called to pick up tent pegs or lull people to sleep with a glass of milk, but we're all called to act in accordance with how God has already shown himself to act. Jael was God's instrument for deliverance from Sisera, and we have a responsibility to play our part in what God wants to do as well. And so I think that's a lesson we can learn from JL, but even after acknowledging we have something to learn from her about action, we have something to learn from Barack about hesitance. This is a passage where there's a lot of places we can just get bogged down and stuck. We could certainly get stuck asking questions about the morality and of treachery and killing a sleeping man in a place where he's supposed to have peace. We could get stuck uh, in what this passage is most often used, which is a defense of women in ministry, which I think this passage supports. And I'm happy to have a conversation with you about Deborah as the only female judge and how she supports women in all levels of ministry. Or we could get stuck talking about just war theory or a million other things, but I don't think that's what this passage is primarily about. We have to ask, where is it that God is trying to take us through the book of Judges and especially Judges chapter four? Barak was told Sisera would fall to the hand of a woman. Deborah gets credit as the faith leader who accompanied the army. Barak's army actually destroys the army and Jael does the final blow. So who gets the glory that Deborah was talking about? The road you are on does not lead to your glory. That phrase continues to stand out to me when I read this section of scripture. The road you are on does not lead to your glory. What is Judges about? What is this cycle that the people have fallen into and we so often find ourselves falling into? It's the cycle of forgetting about God, about doing whatever we want, and then getting the consequences that we deserve. It's only when the people of Israel cry out to God for help that God's salvation comes and God's glory is on display. The more time I spend in this passage and in the book of Judges, the more convinced I am that the lessons from Barak on hesitation or from Jael on action, or even the lessons we can learn from Deborah on speaking truth and standing up for what God says are true. But they're not the lessons that we're supposed to take away primarily from this passage. No, the more I sit in this passage, the more I see it's about the God who didn't hesitate, but at just the right time came and delivered salvation. See, Judges points ahead to the need for a king over Israel, but what Israel doesn't see is that it's not a human king. All of those kings fail in the end. It is only the king they already had, the king that who became man at just the right time and chose the Via de la Rosa. The glory in this passage goes to God, where if you reread those sections, God is the one who routes the army. God is the one who leads them to a battle next to the river where the chariots are gonna get stuck in the mud. God is the one who hands over Sisera, a trained military general to an unarmed woman. God delivered his people. And this passage and this book paved the way for us to see the road that leads to glory is the Via Della Rosa. It's the road to Calvary. It's the road to where God showed the greatest deliverance and the greatest glory this world has ever seen. Our focus in reading Judges chapter four shouldn't be why did Barak hesitate or why was Jael fully righteous when she killed Sisera or is Deborah an example of feminine leadership in the church? But instead it should be 
Look how gracious God is that he brings glory to his name by saving his people. I hope you don't miss the little lessons that are found in this chapter. I hope you didn't miss lesson one from Barak that we shouldn't hesitate when God calls us to act. Don't hesitate when God calls you to act. I hope you don't hesitate when God calls you to action. I hope you didn't miss lesson two from JL. Don't act when God calls you to seek him. I hope you don't act hastily when God calls you to seek him first. And lesson three from Deborah, I hope that you speak up when God calls you to, but I hope you get the lesson that's behind that. Don't speak for God if you don't know what he says. I hope you speak truth in God's name when you know what he says and you don't speak for God when you don't. But more than all of that, more than any of those lessons, I hope you learn the most important lesson from Judges chapter four. This lesson is that Judges is about God saving his people in and through their brokenness and imperfection. The lesson in these verses is that the road that Barak and Deborah and Jael were on was never about their glory. It was about God's glory. Lesson four is that glory road is the Via Dolorosa. Glory road is the road to the cross. And it's only when we follow God on that road that we can apply these smaller lessons. It's only while we're following Jesus that we can ask these questions that I hope you ask yourself. Ask, where is God calling you to act like JL? Ask, where is God calling you to hesitate and take a moment to consider like Barak? Where is God calling you to speak out like Deborah? But most importantly, ask, where do you need deliverance that only God can provide? Friends, we're going to have to act like JL in moments that require justice. We're going to have to stand up and be the church. We're going to have to hesitate and stop like Barak in moments that require guidance, especially as we wade through these really important series we have coming up this fall. And in the midst of all that, we're gonna have to speak up like Deborah and correct one another along the way. But we do all of this as we walk the path to the cross, the path that's full of suffering, full of loss, full of sorrow, and yet all of which we have traded for the joy of knowing that Jesus has already paid the price, that we are a part of a bigger story where God wins, where he redeems our brokenness and trades it for his goodness. On that path, we might know that we can be like Christ and know the power of his resurrection. And so where do you need a deliverance that only God can provide? Next week, Pastor Chris is gonna take us through a story in Judges that reminds us as we humble ourselves, God can lift us up and it's his glory that's on display. That as we decrease in our own eyes, God's glory increases. And as we walk this this humble glory road, as we seek to live out the cross, we have to know the God that we serve. When we know who God is, we can better understand the moments where we need to stop and consider, the moments we need to stand and act, or the moments that we should remain silent or speak up in his name. We base our actions on the truth of who God is. And, And since the beginning of Emmanuel, we have looked for opportunities to work the creeds of the early church into what we do. And so today we are going to recite the Nicene Creed together and we're gonna try and go on to do this every month. 
And so as we walk this simple road based on the truths of the gospel, and as we say those words together through the Nicene Creed, I want to invite you to consider what the words of this creed call you to do. Perhaps you're being called to action, perhaps temperance. Maybe God wants you to speak out. Or maybe God wants you to call and ask for deliverance, to repent and ask the forgiveness of your sins for the first time, for the thousandth time. May God bring to your spirit how he's calling you to respond as we say these words together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.